Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. So welcome to Constructive Curiosity. My guest today is Nikki Lau. Nikki, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So Nikki, you have a wonderful background. You've got to travel lots of places. You've worked with soldiers. You've worked with other organizations. Much like myself, you are a student of the human existence. You like to figure out what makes people tick and how to motivate them. So tell us a little bit about your early life. Oh, about my early life. Let's see. Well, so I was born in um born and raised in Southern California. Um and um got into sports, you know, as soon as I was really able to start walking, um, I'd say. And um when we moved my family moved to Colorado when I was heading into middle school, um, it really gave me an opportunity to get into competitive sports in a way that we didn't quite have the opportunity to in Southern California. Um and so with that really started to develop that competitive aspect, but then really started to see how um just like who I was and how I thought impacted the way that I played. And you know, I remember really going through high school and starting to see how much of a thinker I really was and how much of it it was a detriment um to my <laughs> performance at various times. I remember and oh, this is so embarrassing, I can't believe I tell you, but or tell you know. The world, but here it goes. Um, I was playing lacrosse. I think it was my senior year of high school, and there was an opportunity that I had where I was making a move toward the goal, and the goalie actually um, fouled me. So I had a free shot on goal with the goalie behind me, and I remember at that moment just like starting to to. I mean, looking back on it, it's clear how I started to panic and started to think, oh, what if I miss? What if I miss? And I ended up missing. And I, <laughs> so it was like, missed an open goal shot with nobody there. And I remember going back to my high school coach and she's like, yeah, I just knew you were going to miss it. And I was like, <laughs> what? How? And she's like, I could just tell you started to get super tense and you got in your own head. Um, and so I just kind of like try to brush it aside. I mean, who wants to think about that sort of thing when you're in high school? Um, and so then I went off to college and was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play at the University of Maryland for softball. Um, and, you know, my experience there, I ended up having to deal with a couple of injuries and surgeries and trying to come back from an injury. And, and when I came back, really realized I was a different person. Um, my confidence was in a different place. Um, just the way that I played the game was different. And I just struggled mentally my entire collegiate career. Um, and so just really started looking back on it to see, uh, really realizing how impactful the human mind is um, and our performance in various areas. And so then kind of embarked a journey to figure out what happened, what contributed and how I could help other people avoid uh, that experience so in a way or, or to get through that experience faster. I don't think we can ever avoid those doubt moments, but I think we can move through them faster um, and have them be less impactful in a negative way. So it's really where my passion for it started. And then, you know, I ended up getting my master's degree in sport and performance psychology um, and then was fortunate enough to be able to work with the military for about three years, which is where I had the pleasure of meeting you and many of your wonderful peers. Um, and then for the last couple of years, I've been working for um, 
Valor Performance, where I do executive leadership and mindset consulting, and have recently started my own company doing the same thing. So that's more than my early life, but now you've got the whole history. <laughs> well, no, you definitely gave me some topics I want to go back to, and it sounds like we both suffer from what I call Bull Durham Syndrome. So you've seen mm -hmm. the movie before, right? Yep, sure have. Nu yeah, Nuclelouche up on the mound, and you're just getting in your head, and you have the skills, you have the talent. Yes. And that's something I've often talked about with young athletes when I coach them is I wish I'd had somebody talk to me about that. You have the skills, you have mm -hmm. the talent, you just have to get out of your own head. But the, I think yes. the, one of the major issues, especially with youth coaching and I'm a youth coach, I'm not trying to bash it. It's a volunteer thing for most of us, but you don't know the skills that you don't have as a coach. And you don't realize yeah. that every kid needs something different. Every athlete at any age, every employee at any age, Yes, They need something different. And if you're not identifying what that is, you could have a person with superstar skills or good skills, could be a quality role player, a quality employee. But if you can't identify what that gap is, and I mean, I have a, I won't name the player right now, but I actually coaching my daughters in softball and there's a player on the team currently. She really wants to be a pitcher. She had mm -hmm. a coach in the past tell her she was really bad at pitching. So mm -hmm. she has a huge, huge confidence issue. Sure. So I keep making her close her eyes when she pitches. Mm. She's like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because you're thinking about it. If you close yeah. your eyes and pitch, you're out of your own head. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. The, the, the headspace we can get into as people, as performers, it's an amazing, it's amazing how blind we are to where we are. Um, and it's also amazing the impact that it can have. And, and you're absolutely right. I think no matter no matter how much we as humans want to say that we're independent and we go through life and we can do things on our own, that support network and the people that are around us inevitably shape um, that trajectory trajectory in a way that we don't often give credit to. Um, I mean, like I think back to when I was in school and not that I had terrible English teachers, but they weren't my favorite. Science teachers were definitely my favorite. And even though I would say science was not my strong suit, it became my favorite because of the teachers that I had and the support that I got from them and just the interactions, the relationship we formed. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see how those supporting characters, what kind of role they play. And it's very interesting that, you know, the teach, like you just mentioned, the teachers, the individual style and the fact that, you know, they can make it interesting and they connect to you. I'm kind of similar. Some recent science teachers, and I don't like science. You can ask my wife. She loves science. I, I could deal with, never do science again. That'd be fine. But they're fun. They were much more fun yeah. classes. You got to do more exciting things. And I'm a social studies person. I love history. But how many good history teachers did you really have over the years? A few? They had a couple, yeah, but, but yeah, I, it's, I think maybe sciences are a little more tangible in some ways, at least physics. Um, yeah. And like anatomy classes, they're, they're more tangible, but yeah, it's interesting for sure. So if you don't mind diving into your bad, like, you know, story there, what was going through your head when your coach said that to you? Um, I'm trying to think that I think I was a little like. At first, I was a little like, how could you say that? Um, but then when I thought about it, I'm just like, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, and, and in some ways, it was like, well, you know me that well. But then part of me afterward is just like, but if you knew me that well, how come you didn't help me? Um, if, if you knew that was 
um, an obstacle, a challenge for me to really performing at my best consistently. How come we never talked about that? Um, how come we never really addressed it and you never really worked on it with me? Um, so less in the moment, I think in the moment I more just kind of took it and was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. But you know, you know, after, when you think back upon it, you're just like, but if you recognize it, how come, how come we didn't do anything about it? Exactly. That's kind of the point I was going for. And I know that you're such a great thinker and the way you can see the human existence, you're going to yeah. grasp that really easily. How have you taken that experience and built it into your teaching? Ooh, I think, I mean, I don't know how much you remember from, from the, the class where we were working together, but I don't really pull punches. Um, I don't, I don't hide things from people. And it's, it's one where if I, especially in my consulting work, if I am getting a sense where somebody's trying to fool themselves um, or they're really not seeing the full picture of it, I do my best to in love and with respect, um, tell them a different perspective than what they're telling themselves. Um, and my goal is to not hurt people or not to offend people, but just help them see that how they're thinking about things may not be the most accurate as to what's actually going on. And it's actually, and it's not the most productive if you're really looking to make a change, because if you're unwilling to see the hard truth, or if you're unable to accept it, you can't really make the changes you need to make in order to move move beyond and move past where you are. Yeah, I love to term that situational bluntness. <laughs> I, I picked it up at different parts of my career where depending on who that individual is, different types of approaches resonate. You know, maybe some yes. people just the nice talking to. Some people yep. you have to put yourself in their position. Be like, I'm doing this exact thing. What would you tell me? Mm. And there are some people you really have to tough love them and be almost rude I, I mean you don't like to do that very often but i've had a few yeah. especially soldiers over the years that they were so in their like you know silo or you know just yeah. tunnel whatever you want to say you had to like snap them out of it like look you're not seeing the entire picture and yeah unfortunately i'm not a i don't like the tough love in a mean way that's usually not effective but yeah. occasionally you do have to use it you do. And the interesting part is actually coaching others to have that tough love toward people that they're leading or people they're managing. Um, so like when it, one thing that comes up often, I don't know, I don't I don't want to say like all the time, but it comes up often as people are like um, that whole idea of holding others accountable. Um, I, I don't like holding people accountable. Why should I have to hold people accountable? How do I hold people accountable? Um, and, it, and if they have parent, if they have kids, in some ways, it's easier because you can draw that analogy of what do you like? How do you discipline your kid? Um, and, and what makes you discipline your kid? It's really that love for your child that makes you discipline them, because if you didn't love them, you wouldn't you would let them continue on that destructive path. No, that's very true. And yeah, the parenting parallels to leadership, it actually, I've done a lot of doing the reverse. I look at mm -hmm. how I've led, you know, soldiers, teams, employees, yeah. and realized, okay, am I giving my, and it's a little bit different dynamic, but are you sure. giving your kids the same benefit of the doubt? Are you just selling them because I told you so? Or are you breaking mm -hmm. down? This is why. Explaining yeah. your reasoning behind your actions. Yes. And especially in today's generation, it's not like when we grew up and I don't want to go into a whole parenting discussion, <laughs> but 
it's not like when we grew up, there's so much access to so many more, yeah. you know, influences. So you have mm -hmm. to be able to explain it to them in a way, or they're going to find the answer somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. Um, that, that whole idea of respect, like, are you respecting somebody enough to help to allow them the opportunity to form their own thought? Um, are you respecting them enough to give them the opportunity to internalize what you're asking them to do? Um, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. And I can only imagine how difficult it is these days parenting because of the ease of access to information. Yeah, definitely have everything at their fingertips, which kind of drives you crazy at the same time. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> so let's talk about the time you worked with a lot with the military. What was yeah. the coolest opportunity that you got? Ooh, the coolest opportunity. Mm. But most of my work was surrounding the um, MRT, the Master Resilience course. Um, and so most of my work within the military was just getting to know and understand and interact with soldiers in a way that with a course that was professional development, but at least the first half was very much a lot of personal development for people. And I think it it, it caught a lot of soldiers by surprise. Um, and so really, I think the most interesting thing for me was just being a part of that journey where people were coming in because either they were told to, or they were like, I want this, or this would be good for my career, all these different motivations. But then watching soldiers of different experiences, of different MOSs, of different periods of life, working through this course that was really cognitive behavioral psychology with positive psychology built into it, and just seeing how they took that information and they reflected with their life through it, um, and just kind of that learning aspect, and so just kind of seeing that human journey I think was really interesting. I did have the opportunity of, of being able to help support a um, a sports psychology obstacle course conditioning sort of thing with some of the special ops guys um, in JBLM. Um, so that was really interesting just to work and just see a different um, population within the army that I wasn't always exposed to um, and just to see how their mindset differed and and just to see the different how even though they were army it was just like a different sect of army um i don't know i just i enjoyed all of it really but i think really just getting to know the people and being a part being being honored and being blessed to be a part of their journeys that, that was the most interesting thing for me and the army is a unique group of individuals they'll say it that sure is. And I know I was excited to come to the MRT course. I actually had to beg to get into it because like, you don't yeah. need it. It's not going to help your career. I'm like, please just let me go. I really want to do yeah. this because it's something I'm interested in and I enjoy. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people, like you said, just get like, you have to go. You're forced yeah. into it. And I think throughout the course, hopefully most of them have opened their minds. I know when I would teach the skills to the different soldiers, you'd have the militia come in here like, okay, here we go. Another required training. And I don't need yeah. this touchy feely bull crap is what they'd yeah. all say in different words, usually. Sure. But, but I hope that they all got something out of it because the fact, and I actually had a senior uh, non-commissioned officer tell me at one point, cause I was trying to teach about emotional intelligence. Mm 
Mm-hmm. He's like, this isn't applicable to soldiers. You know, we don't do our feelings. We don't, we're not touchy feely people. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with being touchy feely. Yeah. It has everything to do with leadership and understanding right. how you act, what makes you act the way you act. How can you motivate others to act based on how they react? Yes. That's what it's about. Yes. Yeah, I would say, though, the majority of the soldiers that I interacted with, regardless of how they came into the MRT course, most of them, by the end of it, I would say, got something out of it um, in a personal way. And I think a lot of it um, turned into, um, for many of them, it turned into how can I pay this forward, Um, which is ultimately what the course was designed to be, right, like the train the trainer um, but it was very much, how can we, when I know when I was in, when I had moved to JBLM, we did a lot of work there of how can we make these skills more applicable? How can we make them more, um, less philosophical talk, but more like, how is this actually, how can you see this in your day to day? How can we make an impact in your life and your soldiers' lives? Um, how, like, what's the, what's the usability of these skills in reality in life? I make you feel good. I actually talked about real-time resilience on my last recording. Nice. <laughs> so, I mean, those are, and it's something I've hammered on on previous episodes. I won't go too far into it, but those are skills. I think they need to be teaching in schools. They need to be yes. getting that in front of people as young as possible. I'm trying to instill it in my kids and my players, yeah. you know, because life is going to beat you down. The idea sure. that you can constantly be protected, everything's going to be safe. It's not true. And it affects people at every age, whether you're one yes. or a hundred, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have things that bother you. You're going to have times where life slaps you down. You have to have the skills to build yourself back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say with that, it's, it's really, and the work that I'm doing now, you know, as I was, I was going through um, creating my company and really thinking about what makes me different. What, it, where do I actually work? It's really in the realm of perspective. Um, and so life is very much going to offer you opportunities to fall and opportunities to thrive, but it all really comes down to how are you perceiving those? What are you choosing to make of that opportunity? Every opportunity is neutral. Um, and so what are you choosing? How are you choosing to see it? And how are you choosing to leverage it? No, absolutely. And one of the previous guests I had was Josh Pitcher. He was a guy who actually lost his leg in Afghanistan, came back okay. did multiple marathons. And, you know, he talked about going through some dark periods and he's Mm -hmm. a great example of just that resilience of now, you know, Mm -hmm. the world's a beautiful place. You have to see it for what it is. It's not going to have everything positive, but, you know, that just goes to prove what you're working in right now. If you can see the good, you know, hunt the good stuff. There we go again. (laughs) It'll let you see the world from a different perspective. If you choose to see the darkness, you'll see the darkness. If you choose to see the light, you'll see the light. Yeah, and a lot of times it comes down to control too. A lot of people are like, we 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 as humans we crave certainty, um, and so an aspect of certainty is 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 feeling like you have control over things. Um, but what I try to remind people is is that our choice is our control. So if you choose to focus on the hopeless or or the bad, the negative, you are choosing to give your control away. Um, and so control is one of those concepts where it's. it's people are just like, but if I'm, if I'm letting other people do it, then I'm giving away control. But I'm like, but you are deliberately making the decision to allow other people to have a say and to have, um, so you're giving them that opportunity. You're choosing to do it as opposed to them just taking it from you. Exactly. 
So would you say that goes hand in hand with accountability? Which goes hand in hand with accountability. The control aspect, you know, because mm -hmm. people either they want to have too much control or they'd rather pawn off their control, complain about it because they have a lack of accountability. I would almost call that more of a lack of ownership. Um, and, and I think the accountability, right, is sort of that. Um, I, I think they all go hand in hand, but I think there is a difference. I think ownership is this idea of this is something that I can impact and I'm choosing to impact it or choosing to influence it however I can. I think accountability is really coming back in and examining. Did you do what you said you were going to do? Can you improve it? How can you improve it? What can you change for next time? What did you miss? Um, those sorts of things. Um, and so I, I think I think you need all of those aspects. And, and I think control is the perspective that you take um, with it. Are you are you saying that you know, a situation happens and, um, and you're just a victim of it. Well, you're, you're, you're choosing to give up any control you might've had in that situation. Um, and put that you're, you're removing the accountability from yourself and you're saying, well, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. So what are some examples of some of the best cases that you've worked? You've really been able to make an impact. Hmm. I would say there's there's this one case where I was working with a surgeon at an academic medical institution and she was she was very much struggling because the chief, the head of her division was very um was not the best leader. Um and it was causing problems with my my clients and then um she was in the more junior faculty members that were surrounding her and so she was really feeling like in this weird place of well how do I what do I what do I say in defense of this leader and how do I lead all of these other junior faculty members to um to a place where it's productive and our conversation really really kind of wandered the grounds of what is your responsibility in that scenario and in that climate and um, how much can you control of what your chief does? Um, and it really came down to, well, I can't control my chief at all. Okay, well, what can you control? Well, I can control what I choose to do and how I choose to lead and how I choose to spend my energy thinking and ruminating about these decisions my chief is making. I'm like, okay, so what's going to be the best use of that time and energy for you? Not thinking about it. Okay, how are you going to not think about it? Uh, well, let's see, I'm probably like, I guess I can put more energy into not engaging in those conversations with some of those junior faculty members come to me and they're, 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 they're venting or they're complaining. It's, I used to kind of feed into it and I would you try to problem solve it. And she's like, but that's really not my role. Um, and so it's just, I'm not going to engage in those conversations and instead just sort of say, hey, I hear what you're saying, that can be frustrating. But just sort of ask them that same question. What of that do you actually need to own? Like what where what are we talking like what to what end are we talking about this information for? Um, and so really just kind of creating this mindset shift that created a whole lot of freedom for her. She was just like, I don't feel so encumbered at work. I feel more motivated. I'm less burnt out. I dread going to work much less. Um, and so just created just this, this shift in her mindset and what her responsibilities were in that moment um, created just this massive sense of freedom for her. Oh, that's awesome. And that, yeah, shifting your mindset can make a huge difference in most situations. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was thinking like of another one, you know, I was working with um, somebody, she's a chief of staff or, you know, at a big company. And she was telling me, she's like, I have this report that I'm supposed to do. And like, she's like, I just need two hours of uninterrupted time. And I know I would knock it out of the park. And, um, and so she, you know, she says that, and then she just goes on and telling me, she's like, but you know, my job, it's so, it moves so fast and there's always think there's always new things coming and blah, blah. And so I just simply asked them like, okay, so you need two hours of uninterrupted time to get this report done. Um, is that realistic for your job? And she's like, well, no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so, so if you're waiting for these two hours of time, but you're not going to get that two hours of time, like, when are you going to do this report? How are you going to do this report? She's like, I don't know. That's the problem. And I'm like, okay, but if you're waiting for two hours, you're going to be waiting for forever. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, true. So what do I do? And I was like, okay, well, I don't know. Can you break it up into smaller segments? And when you've got 15 minutes, work on it for 15 minutes and change your perspective from, I need to complete this report to, I need to work on this report for 15 minutes. And she's like that, that shift of just work for 15 minutes or work with what you have. She's like, it's been a game changer for how she's been able to approach her job as well. So it's really creating this freedom, these mindset shifts to me, they just create this freedom that people don't realize that they had. Um, yeah. Yeah, we kind of get fixated, you know, we used to talk yeah. about that in the aviation community, you get stuck looking at one thing. And you miss that there's other opportunities, there's other mm -hmm. ways to go at it. And that's what's great about the kind of work that you do. You help people come to their own conclusions. Yeah. That's usually the most successful. When you tell someone, this is how you do it, they're going to be like, well, I don't know. That's just their opinion. But if you get them to come to the answer on their own, yeah. they're like, oh, I, I came up with this answer. Yes, you did. Take ownership. Run with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really this idea of a science, but delivered in an art form. Um, because you're absolutely right. You don't want to tell people how to do their job or how to run their life or, um, whatever, but you, you, you want to equip them with the knowledge and, um, give them the confidence that they can come up with the solutions themselves, um, and, and just help walk them toward it. And sometimes you got to nudge them in the right direction. Um, but at the end of the day, way more way more impactful and beneficial if they can make that, if they can put that aha moment together themselves. Do you build in like um, controlled failures into any of your work? You know, let them, if they have an idea, they're trying to work with in, in this industry, it's a little bit different than like a direct boss employee relationship. Yeah. But have you built in any of that? I'd say from my consulting seat, it's a little bit harder. Um, we'll definitely I mean, I would say it's probably built in in the nature of our conversation where we will we'll go back and forth with ideas and I'll let them sort of come up with ideas and say, OK, you might want to think about this um, with that or letting them try it and, and whatnot. Um, so I'd say a little bit less than a traditional like coach player um, type of relationship. But I do I do always try to encourage my clients that. How are we defining success? How are we defining failure? Um, and that's, you know, it, that's speaking of a powerful conversation. If, if you're defining success only in outcome things or only in one way, or, you know, I win or I get the money, I get the deal, I close the deal, I, I get somebody to agree to this. You're, 
you're defining success in ways you don't actually have control over. Um, and they're usually short, short-term wins. That's the thing that's very detrimental yeah. to, strate- to a strategic view is, and I've worked at different places that have that, you know, okay, well, we close this deal. But by closing this deal, you've now put the team at a disadvantage by what you've had them signed up for. You're getting a little bit of money, but mm-hmm. down the road, you have caused all kinds of problems. Yeah, that long-term thinking, the big picture thinking, um, that's always tough, like thinking about what are the implications of various decisions or choices people make. Um, yeah, getting people to think big picture is always a bit harder. And I feel like it, it's, I worked at a couple of different startups and very totally different personalities in everyone. So yes. you can't compare, you know, it's apples to oranges each time, different industries. But it's the fact of that quick growth. It seems like yes. that's really where consultants can come into play and help people out to give them that perspective to where, you know, it's no longer about trying to win any and every deal. You have to yeah. win the right deals. Yes, yes. And that's a conversation I've had with people that are a part of startups. It's like, what is well, it's not even just people in startups, but even even management or people that are in charge of making decisions. It's like, what is getting people to think, what is the overall point of what you're trying to achieve? Um, and then being able to run every subsequent decision through that filter of the overarching goal and saying, would this decision, does it move us closer or move us further from our ultimate goal of whatever it might be. Um, and so, you know, for those startups, it's difficult because they're trying to chase the money initially. Um, where am I going to get that investment? What are people going to be interested in? And eventually you have to make the decision and, and step out in faith that, no, we're going to choose this as our mission and we're going to lose some of these other things. And that's ultimately going to be okay. But getting the human psyche to be okay with that, accept that and, and not act on the FOMO. (laughs) It's, it's a tough thing to do. So I'm not sure I've ever asked you before. Were you a big fan of Simon Sinek? You listening to his Uh, stuff? Yeah. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. So it's the why the why spoke to a lot of people, not just me. I can't act like I'm a, you know, the one person to really talk to, but finding your why. And then if you're a why person, find your what person. Because yeah. those two things don't always go no. together, you know, and you have to understand that's got to be the backbone of any business yes. or organization is why are you doing this? Yes. It's to make money. You're probably not going to be very successful. Right. Because people don't come to people to make money or to give their right. money to them. They come to you for a feeling of security. They come to you for a feeling of you're going to help benefit them or your yeah. values align. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, people are just like, but I know my why. But oftentimes we we're we're aware of our superficial whys, but the the sustaining the powerful whys are usually the ones under the surface that, for whatever reason, um, and I think our society, you know, with technology and instant gratification, has made it harder. But we don't we hesitate and we fight putting in the investment of time and energy to really uncover those deeper whys. Um, and, and I think it's a, I think it's a huge misstep um, in a lot of companies. And it's something that I try to circle back with, with people. It's just like, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, and, and really kind of dig into it because that's what will sustain people. And that's what will guide people. If people start to become, become unhappy with where things are going, it's because a value is, is not being met. Um, and when you're not aware of it, it's very hard to fix it. 
or it's very hard to know what you should do different. And it's very easy to just say, oh, but I'm really unhappy in this job, but it's good enough. And I don't know what I'd get on the other side. It's that cognitive dissonance that it makes. Looks, that's what breeds, you know, the anxiety yeah. in this country is really high. Yeah. Stress, depression, all of those things are skyrocketing right now. And it's yep. for multiple reasons, there's ways to avoid it. But one is the the fear of the change and the fact mm -hmm. that you aren't living true to what your why is leads to that cognitive dissonance where you're at a, you're in battle with yourself constantly. Like this yeah. isn't right. Something doesn't feel right. Yep. And it causes you to struggle. Yeah. And I would say a lot of people though, unfortunately the go-to is to look outside of themselves to try to figure out what's wrong. And we, we, for whatever reason, maybe it's too scary or just it's not what's been ingrained in us culturally. We rarely look inside and we rarely look to see, well, why am I not feeling okay with what's happening right now? Um, what what value do I have? What belief do I hold is that's not being held right now or not being met? Um, rarely do we look that way. It's always, you know, the circumstances are not paying me enough or um, whatever it might be. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you to get personal here. So what is your yeah. why? What is my why? Mm. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think probably a few months ago, I would have said my why was very similar to kind of what I shared earlier. It's just I, I recognized the impact and the the depth as to how we can be our own worst enemy. Um, and I really wanted to be able to help other people understand that and move through that and get out of their own way. As I've been, you know, on my own personal journey, the last handful of years or the last handful last handful of years, really, um, but also more this more recent in the last couple of months, I would say a lot of it is um, my own journey and my own faith, um, religious faith, and and really recognizing, I think, and, and understanding and owning that I think that part of the reason I was created was to be here to help other people, um, to help them see things that they may not see in themselves. Um, and so my why is just to really fulfill what I was created to be, um, in a way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you've taken time to reflect. I knew you would have. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. And that, like I said, that's one of the hardest things for people to do. And it's self-care. It isn't always the way, you know, they portray it now. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is getting in touch with you and understanding yes. what you want out of life, where you want to go, where you are right now how to get there. But one of the biggest ones I know I struggle with a lot. I'm very hard on myself. Mm -hmm. I look at myself through, I don't know, I guess I'd say harsh glasses. <laughs> like you could have done this better. could have done that yeah. better. And it's something that didn't, no one put that in my head. The furthest back I could think like being three or four years old, mm -hmm. I did it to myself then. Yeah. So it's, it's having the ability. And like I said, hopefully you have people around you that could help you see it. Look at all you've done. Look at all yeah. the accomplishments. And that's something that I think people need to try to remember too. Don't get high and mighty on it, but look at everything that you've accomplished to this point and try to balance out your good and bad thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I was just talking with a client yesterday actually about this and it's, it's really thinking about the cliche, right? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. 
um, and really understanding what that actually means. And we we're putting it in this context of outcome goals versus process goals and how are you defining success? If you're purely defining success as that outcome, like whether or not people buy in, whether or not you get the win or the loss, um, whatever, like whether or not you, you got the sale or you didn't get the sale, whatever it might be, um, if you if if that is the only way you're defining success, it is too easy to overlook all of the growth that you had from the beginning to that outcome decision point. Um, and it's just too easy to say, I didn't do enough, I'm not good enough. But if you have at least two ways to define success, right? One is that outcome measure and then the other is, what are all of the things that you think you need to do to give yourself the best probability of getting your outcome goal? And then did you do those things? That allows you to have a sense of achievement, a sense of accomplishment that is with more within your control, but also allows you to see the growth that you've had. It's like when you're hiking up a mountain, being able to stop and see at the different viewpoints, how high you've come, what is out there in nature, instead of just keeping your head down the entire way and only looking up when you reach the top of the mountain. And if you don't happen to reach the top of the mountain, you're just like, I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And that's, I actually had a previous guest on here, Emory Heisler. You should go back and listen to his episode, but he's yeah. talked about writing a book called The Second Place Life and how mm. much you're still there. You got to experience yeah. all these things. You may not have won every time, but you got to do so many interesting and yes. you know, things that you work so hard to get there. And the fact that you're there, most people don't get there. So mm -hmm. relish where you are and how hard yeah. you work to get there. The winning is icing on the cake. Yeah, very much so. So we're coming a little bit closer to the end here. So I'm going to hit you with a few questions. But before I do that, tell me, tell us more about your consulting agency. Uh, yeah. So my company, Nikki Lau Consulting, um, it's targeting right at the moment. It's targeting more individuals that are just feeling stuck um, in in life and their professional world where they're really not quite sure how to like they know that they're capable or more or maybe they're high performing already but there's just the sense that there's some untapped potential and i don't know how to get there um and so my desire is to really just get to know these people have conversations with them and help them work through what are their mental obstacles that are getting in their way of their what they would say their peak performances or their performance goals or just consistent performance or just being happier and feeling less burnt out at work. Um, you know, it's not always about being better, but it sometimes it's just about feeling better. Um, and and sometimes it's it's a perspective shift in there. And so I work with people in that way, and hoping eventually to get into working with uh, like in a teams based um, format um, to where it's just you know I get to work with everybody kind of interconnected in this team. And how can we create a high performing team as opposed to just high performing individuals? Um, so. Right now, it's just the consulting. I leverage my, um, you know, the 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 leadership and resilience training background that I have with the military, but also the performance psychology background that I received from my studies and just all the experience that I've had in the last, uh, I don't know, coming up close on 10 years. Um, so just trying to leverage all that experience to help people embrace and meet what they think their potential is. No, that's awesome. And I cannot recommend Nikki, Nikki highly enough. I've worked with her directly. So yeah. if you're out there and you're looking for those kind of services, give one of us a call. 
Nice. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so here come the questions for you. So oh, great. Most of these will be pretty similar to what I typically do, but I'll probably throw you a curveball at some point. So you've been to lots of places. You've been to Japan. You've been all over mm -hmm. the U.S. Where's somewhere you want to go? Ooh, where's somewhere I want to go? Um, I... From a pure like travel standpoint, I'd love to go to New Zealand. From a cultural experience place, I think I'm starting to warm up to the idea of going to like South Africa um, or um, yeah, probably South Africa. Um, I've had a couple of clients from South Africa and it just seems like an amazingly interesting place. Um, lots of history and just some some interesting, um, you know, just different. Um, so yeah, those places. Ooh, those would both be fun places to go. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I have a friend in New Zealand. I've had clients in New Zealand. I've not had as much in South Africa, but that definitely be an interesting place to go. Yeah. So next question here, where do you see yourself in five years? Five years. Um, <laughs> I would love to see um, my company um, having a bigger presence, being more impactful, getting more work with that. Um, but five years, I pretty much, I, I still see myself doing the same sort of thing, you know, having a passion for helping other people um, figure out life um, and, and just doing what I can to be there for people. And, 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 you know, hopefully I will, I won't get overtaken by the business bug and wanting to make the most amount of money as possible. And, and I, I really hope that I'll be able to stay true to doing it for the people, um, and not for the money. Um, cause when, when you, when you, when you make that jump, I don't know, you just lose, you lose something, I think. And, and I don't want to lose that. Which is something I've noticed and it, it makes me sick to my stomach is a lot of the times people in at a certain level in any organization, they're so detached from the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've, there was times in my life where I thought like, okay, I want to be a COO, I want to be a CEO. Yeah. I don't know if I fit into that community. And I know I'm not trying to make this all about me here. Sorry. But it's, <laughs> it's the mind, it's the mind shift, you know, where it's yeah. like at some point you become about the dollars like you're talking about. Yes. And it feels makes me feel sick to my stomach even thinking yeah. about that. Like it, it, yeah. organizations are about people. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a one person business, you're about your clients, or you're, you know, a five hundred thousand person mm -hmm. organization. Without those people, you're nothing. That's what I used to. Yeah. Tell. Yeah, and and I would even go as far as to say, without people, what is the human experience? Um, and so, yeah, I I don't I don't ever want to lose sight of the people. Um, and, and yeah, we all need to make a living and whatever, but making a living is very different than making a living off of other people. Yeah. Making a living versus making a life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. It's a curveball question. Yeah. What was the one pitch you could not hit in softball? <laughs> uh, for me, it was probably, um, the drop ball, especially when it's on the outside part of the plate for me, because I was a slap hitter and I had a nasty tendency of trying to get to first base before I actually hit the ball. Um, so anything that was moving away and down from me um, was typically harder for me, um, which is crazy when you think about it, like a slap hitter. You you would usually think like drop balls were the best because you're just trying to hit it into the ground anyways. But because I was trying to get somewhere before I did the first task, it was it was always a struggle for me. 
I'll give my my problem on that too. So I'm a low or high outside fastball. I'm a sucker for a high outside fastball because <laughs> low outside fastballs is my favorite pitch. So okay. It's going to drop, right? No, it didn't drop. And then I just look silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember speaking of rise balls. So um, I remember we we played, um, I think it was my, either my junior or my senior. I think it was my junior year, actually. We played the uh, national team at that point and Kat Osterman was pitching and i remember she's got she's got she had some of the most wicked movements ever um and she had this rise ball that you knew was coming but you just like you couldn't help but swing at it like you know it's coming it just looks so great and you're just like don't swing you know it's gonna you know it's gonna jump and you'd still swing yeah you just can't help it it's crazy (laughs) so i always like to ask most everybody the same final question so there's there's moments in your life that are you know (laughs) mean a lot to you or pivotal and I can't pinpoint each one of those. So I try to hone in on a point in most people's lives that is going to have some kind of, you know, major shift. So I picked the age 14, you're kind of moving mm-hmm. from middle school into high school. So if you could go back and talk to your 14 year old self, what would you say? I think for me, I would want to go and tell myself that it's not about me. Um, it's it's about it's about other people. It's about it's about like mm, for me, it's really about like it's about God and what He does and and who He is and what He wants for His creation. But it's really not about me. I'm just a person in this. I am somebody that um, I make choices, but it's ultimately not about me. The choices that I make aren't just about me. It's about the people that are around me. It's the it's about it's just so much more than just me, um, because I've always been somebody who's so worried about how are other people perceiving me? Am I OK? Am I doing well enough? Um, am I disappointing anybody? And really, it's not about me. Um, and and to really get my eyes off of me and to get them onto, um, for me, get them onto God, get them onto other people, but just to just keep your, it's not, it's not about me. Um, it's about so much more. Um, and, and I don't know if I would be able to recognize that or understand what the older self is telling the younger self, but that's the message that I would want to learn earlier in life. It's really not about me. And that's great perspective right there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that age is just such a, you have no idea who you are or no idea who you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. You're just trying to figure out like what is life. <laughs> exactly. So any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to bring up? Hmm. I have a question for you. Oh goodness. <laughs> what is your why? My why is a mix of two different things. So mm. I want to make an impact. I want to be able to affect the world in a more positive way is probably my biggest thing. But to go along with that is to be authentic Mm. when you do it. I'm so, you know, don't fall into societal norms. Don't go into what everyone says is okay. Do what's most right for you and what's going to help you benefit. So I sounds very selfish when I say it that way, but most right for you in that you're finding your purpose. 
Sure. You're you're living out what you're supposed to do. Yep. Because you you've noticed, like I've noticed throughout life, you've run into people, and they are very unhappy, and it's strictly because they got stuck in a rut, and this isn't what they want to do. This isn't how they yes. want to live their lives, and yep. that can be a major shift from something you know, like I'm in the wrong career path, and this is totally wrong for me, or you know, I chose this way of living, or I have to wear a suit and a tie. Never. I, I don't do that hardly ever. But, you know, you have to dress this way. You have to act this way. You have to walk yeah. and talk and be this way for in order to be accepted. And that's complete crap. Yeah. The people are, so you may have read or listened to the book, The Mountain Is You. Mm -hmm. Great book. Love it. Yeah. I've listened to it several times. You are the only person who's in your way. And if yeah. you can get out of your own way, you will lose people. People that you've known yes. for a long time but they're not the right people for you. So to yes. quickly sum up my why, to make an impact on the world and do it authentically as myself. Yeah, I think that's great. And authenticity, it's one of those things that I think social media and technology has made harder to know what is real. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's a great, great goal. So where can we follow you at? Um, so right now, mostly just have my website at NikkiLauConsulting.com. Um, I don't have a huge social media presence as of yet, but I will probably end up working on that in the next handful of months. So when I get that, I'll be sure to update you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been Thank you for listening to Constructive Curiosity. Constructive Curiosity is presented by SFC Consulting. For all your career coaching, project management, and leadership development needs, SFC Consulting has the insight to get it right. Visit sfcconsultingservices.com for more information.